Hey, Dennis, are you a lawyer? Yeah. Am I a lawyer? You are. Do we talk about law? All the time. Are we giving legal advice? Never. At least not to these people. No. They haven't paid for it. No. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hey, Mark. How are you? Doing doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Here we are. Here we are once more. Once more. So uh, you had a big week. I had a big week. I started a new job this week. Well, congratulations. Why, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm actually... I, I, I could care less about you, but what I'm really yeah. excited about is for me, yeah. having you downtown now is awesome. You just want my firm credit card, I think. No, I just I just like hanging out with you. Yeah. Having um, lunch, having right? Like yeah. I, my downtown experience just vastly improved. I was paying you a compliment. Oh well thank you. I thought you were just after the firm expense account, like pretty much everyone else I know. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people at your new firm and they take me out to lunch quite a bit. So Oh, okay, good. I'll let uh, so, them pick up that tab. And yes. you know, you can pay the firm back by buying <laughs> my lunch. How's that? Fair enough. I think we've got a deal. <laughs> How's it going so far? No, it's been great. I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's it it's really private is practice, right? So it's private our, practice. So you're litigating again, and and for a whole or, host of many different clients, hopefully over time. One. Yeah, out trying to uh, business develop once more, which is is kind of fun to return to. I haven't done that for a while. Welcome to my life. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. That's exciting. It's it's nice to have a view of downtown That's and not good. the side of an apartment building, which was my in-house council gigs uh, view. Okay. A All very right. unexciting brick wall. <laughs> so, yeah, that's an improvement. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have some natural light and eh, things are good. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, did you did you prepare anything today? Because I'm kind of. I actually did prepare something today. Wow! Yeah, All right. a first. Yeah, usually it's me reading a case, but yeah, uh, but no, today it will be today. me. And this, I think, our listeners will appreciate because it it um, explores some of the ways that Title VII has been expanded through the judiciary system to cover things other than just the facial obvious race, sex, national origin type stuff that you, we think of. You just sounded like such a lawyer. I try my best. Thank you. What What is Title Seven? Title Seven, you know, that little federal law that says you can't discriminate against people on the basis of race, sex, national origin, religion, that, that stuff. I'm familiar with it, yeah. but I thought maybe we should start in by saying this is the federal law that says oh, you can't yeah. discriminate against people. So, for those of you who don't know, there's a federal law that says you can't discriminate against people. Certain, you can't discriminate against people based on certain characteristics, such as their race. And today, we're going to talk about discrimination based on sex. But we're also going to talk about how that law, which was passed many, many years ago. I believe it would be Title VII of the the Civil Civil Rights Rights Act Act of of 1964. So, it's, it's a while back. Um, before I was born. Yes, it predates both of us. Predates both of us. So, 
But how it has been applied by the courts has changed. And this is going to talk about one of those ways. Right. And it's going to, what we're going to talk about is how Title VII has been used to address discrimination against people based on their sexual orientation or their perceived sexual orientation and how the courts have gotten there. But we'll get there with a pretty interesting case. Yeah, lay it on us. So this is the case of Ellingsworth v. Hartford Fire Insurance. And it comes out of your old stomping grounds, Mark. This is from Pennsylvania. Oh, it's, I was going to say Connecticut, but yeah. Pennsylvania, I guess. Okay. Yeah. It's actually from Allentown, which I know is the other side of the state. No, 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 no. no. Allentown's just an hour north of Philly. Oh, is it? Okay. The east side of the state. Oh, my geography is terrible. You have no idea. Terrible. Yeah. Um, I thought home, Allen... of Dor- home of Dorney Park, Great Amusement Park. Oh, okay. I thought it would be home of like Amish people in carts. No, that would be west of Philadelphia. Yeah. See, that's Lancaster County. See, see what I know what about, about Philly Pennsylvania. Peeps? Yeah, yeah. So, but let me tell the story. Yeah, please. Um, it's about Mary Kate Ellingsworth, who lives with her husband in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And she started to go to work for the Hartford, which we know is the insurance company that's based out of Connecticut. But this is happening in their Allentown office. She's a customer service rep. She reported to somebody by the name of Angela Ferrier. Now, Ms. Ferrier didn't really get along too well with Ms. Ellingsworth. She would allegedly harass her in various ways over the span of about a year. She would tell Ms. Ellingsworth that she, quote, dresses like a dyke, unquote. She would also make fun of her clothing, call her stupid, and tell her that she, quote, sucks, unquote. She sounds like a great manager. Great manager. I think I worked for... great for engagement. I may have worked for Ms. Ferrier at some point. In addition to ridiculing her directly, she would also talk behind her back to her co-workers and tell her co-workers that she, again, dresses like a dyke. And this is my favorite, that she has a, quote, lesbian tattoo, unquote. Now, here's Did she the... say where? No. Other than it was in a place that was not visible normally. But she knew. But apparently she knew. What I want to know and what there is nothing out there I can find is what makes a tattoo a lesbian tattoo. Yeah. Unless it's like, you know, big words that say I am a lesbian. (laughs) I don't know what makes a lesbian tattoo. But apparently Ms. Ferrier knew and decided to tell everybody that Ms. Ellingsworth has one. Because of all of this persistent harassment, Ellingsworth co-workers assumed what? That she was a lesbian? That she was a lesbian. But guess what? She wasn't. She's actually married, and she's married to a guy. Okay. Despite that, it became generally accepted in the workplace that Ellingsworth was gay. Therefore, she felt compelled to run around and explain to everybody that, in fact, she is not a lesbian. So we have a perceived issue here. Yeah. Then, after this goes on for a while, Ellingsworth makes a complaint to one of her supervisors, complains that Ferrier's been harassing her. She makes two statements about the harassment on separate days as part of the investigation. And then a few weeks later, she gets a letter that reads as follows. I write to follow up on the concerns you raised during our discussion on May 13th and 14th. 
I would like to thank you for bringing your concerns to the Hartford's attention, as it takes such concerns very seriously. I conducted a thorough investigation based on the information you shared. The Hartford has completed its investigation and has taken appropriate action. Accordingly, the Hartford considers this investigation closed. Interesting. Yeah. That's more than many do. That's actually more than many do. It didn't make Ellingsworth all too happy, though, because she didn't know what action was taken, and she received no further communication or information regarding her complaints. She continued to report to Ms. Ferrier. A few months later, Ferrier went out on maternity leave. So, so during those two months, did it stop? It doesn't say. But it doesn't say that anything continues. It doesn't say. So one has to make certain assumptions there. Okay. But in any event, the complaint and the investigation were in May, and Ferrier goes out on maternity leave in July, so there wasn't a whole lot of time there in between. Fair. She came back from maternity leave in November of 2013, and Ellingsworth claimed that Ferrier's return triggered anxiety and depression for which she took a leave of absence. That's too bad. That's too bad. So January, February, March, she's out on a leave of absence. At the end of March, the Hartford writes her a letter that says you can either come back to work or be fired. Presumably because her medical leave was running out. Okay, so she about did three apply weeks. for FMLA? It sounds that way. Okay. However, because she was afraid that she would come back to harassment, she stayed out on leave. She claims a constructive discharge. Yeah. Yeah. Constructive not, discharge is never a great claim. It's Let's never just get a great that claim out there. This isn't anywhere close to that as far as I I can. don't think so, but from she, a legal standard. I'm not saying that it it was cool what No. What no, happened, no, 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 no. But no, we're nowhere near that legal standard. Yeah. She did file a complaint with the Pennsylvania Human Rights Committee that was cross-filed with the EEOC and so on and so forth, and later on ends up in court. So here's why I thought this was an interesting case. What's Let's, her claim? Can I ask that first? Well, she is claiming, she claimed a lot of stuff, but the one that I think is really interesting here is she was claiming discrimination on the basis of sex. Okay. A violation of the aforementioned Title Seven, And her theory here is what is known as the because of sex clause in Title VII. So Title VII says it shall be unlawful to discharge anybody or discriminate against them, blah, 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 because of their race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Nowhere in there does it say anything about their sexual orientation, their perceived sexual orientation, or anything of that nature. Right. Title VII does not go there. It doesn't. But where, where this case goes and where a lot of courts have gone is to say, yeah, but because of sex doesn't just prohibit direct, obvious, like, I'm firing you because you're a woman type discrimination. It also covers something that the courts have called sex stereotyping types of discrimination. And this goes all the way back to this really important Supreme Court case way back in the 80s called Price Waterhouse v. Hopkins, where a female executive was fired because she was insufficiently feminine. 
And the Supreme Court said firing somebody because they're not female enough. In other words, based female enough characteristics. based on your stereotypical view of how women should act and behave and dress and comport themselves. That is a form of discrimination because based of sex. sex and is therefore illegal. There's another way that that has been expanded to get to sexual orientation. And that is to say, discriminating against somebody based on their sexual orientation is a form of discrimination because of sex, because it's also a form of sex stereotyping. For example, here's a case that is cited in the case that we're referring to today um, called Bibby v. Coca-Cola, where a gay man was harassed because he was gay. He sued Coca-Cola under Title VII, saying that this is a form of sex stereotyping because the stereotypical view of a man should be somebody who has sex with women and is straight and masculine and manly. And I didn't fit those stereotypes. Therefore, my harassment on the basis of my sexual orientation was really a form of sex discrimination. And the court bought that argument. And the court bought that argument. And in this case, with Ms. Ellingsworth, the court in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania bought that as well and said, even though you're not gay, the discrimination that she experienced was basically a form of sex discrimination because she did not fit her employer's view of what it meant to be a woman and said that she had a valid sex stereotyping claim. That sounds like a very natural extension of the other cases that you just talked about. It does. Now, there's a whole bunch of other claims in here about her retaliation claims and the constructive discharge claim. So, 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 but back up before we get yeah. to those claims, what's the claim we're talking about then? So it's discrimination on the basis of effectively her sexual perceived sexual orientation. What's the adverse action? Her constructive discharge. Okay. So we're still coming back to constructive discharge here. Yes. So even though the claim is cognizable, is the court here saying that this was actually a constructive discharge because of that? Well, what would you say based on what we've read about? Not even close. I thought not even close either. But here the court, the court said no. She does have a valid constructive discharge claim. Why? Because no reasonable person would be expected to tolerate repeatedly being called a dyke, having to continue to clarify their sexual orientation, and being ridiculed for having a lesbian tattoo. Fascinating. That that does not com comport with legal standards as I understand them for a constructive discharge claim, first of all. And what I found interesting is that in the summary that the courts provided us, there was an investigation it was action was taken. We don't she, know what action was we don't taken. Know what it was, but but after but that, there's no evidence to show that it continued once that com was yeah. completed. And she worked there, continued to work there for two more months before yeah. she went, or, or two more months before Ferrier went Ferrier out on, goes out on yeah. leave. And then it's only when she came back six months later. So we're also talking about a huge gap in time here. I mean, she she effectively continued to work for the company yeah. for another six eight months. So following that, the, the yeah. investigation, I don't see how you get anywhere close on this. Me neither. And that part really surprised me. 
But um, this court felt that there was enough there to support a sex discrimination and retaliation claim, based, and based on a constructive discharge, denied summary judgment. Right. And just just so you guys, just so our listeners understand, yeah. we've talked a little bit about constructive discharge on the podcast before, but. What you need to be able to show in any successful discrimination claim, Title VII or under almost any state law, is that the employer took acted in such a way that there was an adverse action. It's right. one of the elements of the claim. Right. Clear Usually that's, yeah. would be, I fired you. I demoted you. Right. I failed to hire you. I disciplined you. I disciplined you above a certain amount that it changed the terms and conditions of your employment. Right. Okay. A constructive discharge is a much higher standard under every state law and federal law that I'm familiar with, which is basically that the conditions had to be so far outside the bounds of decency that anybody, subjective, objective, anybody, would have felt that they had no choice yeah. but to quit. And, and that that, I've in fact, seen, was the reason that you quit. I've almost never seen a claim that gets that far. That's why, that's why we're both having this yeah. reaction to this claim. They're few and far between. These facts don't get us there, in our opinion. But the but, court does what the court does, and we don't have to agree with what the court does either. Right. And we also can be very sympathetic to her claim and say this was unacceptable, what she, what she suffered, and we don't know what they did in response. And right. be very sympathetic to what she has to say and still say, under the law, she has no claim here, or we don't, we would not. We don't see it. We, we, exactly. But do you think the way that the employer, the Hartford here, responded and summarized its investigation was appropriate? Where it wrote back and said, yeah, thanks. We investigated. We took action. We're not going to tell you what it is, but we're done here. I think that it's slightly lacking. I mean, I... What I, would you I have would done be, differently? I would be very careful, just as the Hartford was here, about... Yeah. Revealing personnel actions that I took with regard to somebody else. Yeah. Do you ever recommend that you you, no. you explain exactly I, what you did to the alleged harasser? Absolutely not. I no. never do that. However, I think that the letter could have been a little more reassuring. Yes. I think they could have done more to express, we have zero tolerance for this. Yep. Right? We found that this did happen to you, and we have taken steps to to prevent it from happening again. And you let us know if it does, because exactly. there will be to pay if there does. I'm totally okay with saying all of that without getting into, we went to Farrier and we smacked her down. Right. Can't, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Right. Which they is why I liked the letter. I liked the fact that there was a letter. I liked yeah. what the letter started with. The letter was not as reassuring as I would have wanted nope. it to be in the circumstances. And I would have done it the exact same way. You don't say exactly what you did to Farrier, but you make it clear that we've taken action. This should now stop. But if it doesn't, let us know. Right. You can be validating and reassuring in your letter without getting yeah. into the details of what you did exactly. Exactly. So why wouldn't you get into the details of why? Well, I just wouldn't want to, I mean, share personnel information related to somebody else. I, no. I, I mean, it gets into privacy issues. It gets into other kinds of concerns that oh, yeah. I, I don't think necessarily, I mean, it could get into some legal issues, but it's just not the right thing to do. No. To, to I start mean, spreading rumors or it wouldn't yeah. be a rumor in this case, but allowing somebody to go and start talking about their coworker yeah, and, and, and making it more public than it needs to be. Yeah, and you what if that privately? What if they put in there like we investigated, we found your complaint valid, so we put Farrier on a last chance, final warning. 
Well, now, you know, the complainant could go and tell all of her coworkers right. that their and boss is on a last chance. Maybe there's somebody who just doesn't like her and makes something up. Yeah. For example. Or right. sets her up or, or baits they, her or, exactly. or you know, that's not it what you want to do with all sorts of drama and there's yeah. just no reason for it. So, what did you think about the sex discrimination claim? The whole constructive discharge aside, we know we disagree yeah, on let's that. Say, let's say they fired her. Yeah, let's say they just fired her. For whatever reason. doesn't really matter what. Within yeah. a kind of proximal time frame. Yeah. I, I think it's a valid claim, and I think I, I agree with the court. And I think I do, too. And I think this is something that... Um, but that we're, we're two hippie liberals from Portland. That's true. So we're inclined to want to do that. But, but I, I think about other kind of jurisprudence, other Supreme Court cases that talk about penumbral rights. Are you familiar with those under, you know what a penumbra is? Um, I do in the astronomy context. And, and I'm that's thinking where this they're is, borrowing from. Really? Yes. So what is it and here? So some of the, the... The sort of outer circle? It's the outer circle, right? So what the penumbra... So tell, tell us what in astronomy lingo is a penumbra. So when there is a total eclipse of the sun, and we just saw one here in, well, I saw one in Oregon um, earlier last year, um, when the moon blocks the sun and you can see all of the corona and stuff around the sun, part of that is known as the penumbra. It is the stuff that's around the sun that usually you can't see because the glare of the sun is blocking it out. Exactly. And so what that means in a legal sense, and I believe somebody write in and correct me if I'm wrong on this because I'm just pulling this from my memory, that this was from Griswold v. Connecticut, which is one of the early right to privacy cases. That was the birth control case, right? It was the birth control case. And what they basically said is that there is a right to privacy. This is where they established the right to privacy. There's no law that says Americans have a right to privacy. No, there's It's an entirely judge-made judicial construction that strict constructionists say this is an abomination, the Constitution doesn't say this. Right. And it should never have existed. Right. And this is the line of cases that takes you down down a path of privacy. Gets you to Roe v. Wade. Takes you to Roe v. Wade. Takes you to all sorts of cases that we rely on now and a and, and a whole string of jurisprudence that I think there's a certain current minority, but maybe someday majority of Supreme Court justices that might say, throw it all out. Yeah. Because that right doesn't exist. But here's and I forget which justice it was that wrote it bad on me, but what they said is the right to privacy can be read into various amendments to the Constitution. Hmm. Equal protection, for example, and other 14th Amendment argument to say this is a penumbral right. That's actually the word. Very few things I remember from my constitutional law class in law school. This is a penumbral right. This right to privacy, when you take the bits and pieces of other laws and the jurisprudence around them and add them all up, you get this. Because oh, it's okay. on the fringes. It's on the outside. You don't read, You don't look directly at the sun. You look at what's coming around the outside when the sun is shadowed. Oh, cool. And so I would liken that. That's a really long constitutional discussion. Yeah. But to explain the concept, I would I would personally translate that over to this context as well. Title VII doesn't say sexual orientation. Now, keep in mind, a lot of folks listening, your state very well might, or your jurisdiction, or your, your city, locality, or your county, very absolutely. well might. In that case, there's literally no question here, right? You know, even though it's a perceived claim, a perceived claim would still fall under that, right? But here, under Title VII, 
I would say that sexual orientation, following especially the line of cases that you cited, right, yeah. is a natural progression that you want to read out of Title Seven, saying that sex is a protected characteristic, and sexual orientation would be, in effect, what I'm going to call a penumbral right around that. And I would totally agree. You know who totally disagrees? I'm sure plenty of people. <laughs> Plenty of people, including U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Well, that is not sh shocking. I was going to say shocking. and That's not surprising. Shocking. At the, yeah. At um, so our listeners may have heard last year, Attorney General Jeff Sessions issued a directive to all of the federal agencies that report up through the Department of Justice that they will no longer take officially the view that sexual orientation is a form of sexual orientation discrimination is a form of unlawful sex stereotyping under Title VII. Which, I mean, great. That's fine. You know, if you want to set that policy as a government, I mean, it's not great. It's not mm -hmm. fine. But Right. We, we kind of politically disagree right. with that approach. But, but Okay, fine. Do you think that the courts will care? No. In fact, there's been a very long history of courts not, not caring, caring what Jeff Sessions has to say or what might happen in the executive branch in terms of what they're going to I mean that's it, does, it they, is why we have the separation of powers it's exactly right Jeff Sessions can run off and do whatever kind of crazy Jeff Sessions thing he wants to do so they cannot enforce that and they cannot rule it in or read it into their decision-making process yeah and the government will pay but as a result, what may happen now is that you could get an EEOC claim of sexual orientation slash gender stereotyping under Title VII, have the EEOC dismiss, dismiss it, it because, because the EEOC is an executive branch, not exactly. a judicial branch. That's fascinating. Yeah. And then issue a right to sue letter where that claimant goes to the courts where they do get some justice. So beware. Fascinating. Really fascinating. cool case. Thank you. And on that cheery note, I think we should take a break. All right. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, you got something to uh, add to that today, Mark? <laughs> that was a terrible transition. That was an awful transition. But we're just going to run with it. All right. Yeah. I, I actually have a, a little news story I saw this week that my wife sent me. Oh. That I thought might be a nice uh, short middle segment today. You so, know, you just ruined the fantasies of like half of our listenership. That I married? That you, you could be single. I, I hear they were holding out hope. You just dashed you, all those hopes. You hear that. I hear that. Yeah. Keep keep hearing that. <laughs> All right. So, so this uh, is from a, a BuzzFeed news story this week, which I'm going to borrow liberally from here as I just fake news outline the thank you. Yeah. No, this is this is real. So Emily Wynn is an 18 year old senior at Cleveland STEM High School in Seattle. Huh. And. She's recently been helping her father, Min, who's 52 years old, uh, look for jobs. His English is not fluent, and she usually proofreads his emails before he sends them out. Uh, she told the newspaper, or new, uh, it's not a paper, I guess, but she told BuzzFeed <laughs> that her dad immigrated to the U.S. in 1995. He's been jobless for the last couple of years. He previously owned a restaurant 
but it went out of business and had worked as an overnight truck, long haul truck driver for 13 years, but he was laid off. And I'm going to guess from your pronunciation of their last name that either they're related to disgraced casino magnate Steve Wynn or they're perhaps Vietnamese. They are Vietnamese. Aha. Okay. So one day... I just wanted an excuse to say disgraced casino magnate. Yes. uh, That's also very newsworthy and timely. Maybe something we should talk about on an episode here at some point soon. Good thinking. Yeah. Um, so one day, Min, uh, the father, emailed a company about a job he was interested in. He did it by himself. Uh, he received an email back from the HR manager of the company. The company is called Dash Delivery. And it read, let me tell you, let me try that again. Let me tell you now, if you know speak English, I will send you home. If you know speak English. If you know speak English. Wow. And this is signed. By Bruce Peterson, the HR manager and hiring manager of Dash Delivery. Huh. Way to go, Bruce. Now, Emily was livid. I can't imagine why. Right. And her father just wanted to let it go and didn't really understand. And she explained to him just how offensive that email was. Yeah. Uh, So she did what any good 18-year-old millennial is going to do. She raised some hell. She put it up on the Twitters. Way to go. And had no expectation that it was going to go viral. But that's exactly what happened. So she goes viral. And I'm just going to scroll through here. There's like, they just pick out all of these great tweets back just about how offensive and awful this is. So this this makes the news. Uh, it, you know, it gets, you know, big time out there, especially in the Seattle community. Until Dash Delivery gets wind of it. Oh. And what did they do? They sent a letter. Uh-oh. Dear Mr. Wynn and Emily, as the employer of Mr. Peterson, he's the HR manager, yeah. please accept my sincere apologies for the communication sent by Mr. Peterson to you. Mr. Peterson's communication was inappropriate and inconsistent with our company's values. Oh, good for them. Our company is an equal opportunity employer, and it is proud of its diverse workforce. Indeed, the majority of the employees performing the work for which you applied speak English as a second language, and they represent a wide range of backgrounds and nationalities. While it is true that communicating effectively in English is an important part of the job in question, the manner in which Mr. Peterson communicated with you was highly inappropriate, and following our investigation, he is no longer employed with the company. Oh, yay! Thank you for bringing this to our attention, and I hope you will accept my sincere apology. Wow! So talk about... Handling this in the right way. Total right way. I I was just so pleased to see an employer who actually would take responsibility for the actions. Yeah. Hold people accountable to what to what occurred and issue and offer a sincere apology, which that totally is. Totally. Like that's just that's great saying, stuff. But this or but that. This is just we we're sorry. Yeah. So did they offer him a job? Not that I can see. Uh, and I think that the language barrier for this pos- particular position may still have been too too much of a oh, okay. burden to overcome. Which can be legitimate. It can be legitimate. But the wonderful kind of postscript to the story, I'm not going to read the rest of the article, but the wonderful postscript to the story, he now has like a dozen job offers. Okay, so he's so taken care of. He's taken care of. And I just thought that this was a good 
feel good kind of story all the way around, which maybe yeah, totally. we're a little short on these days. Yeah. Uh, Most of our stories are about disgraced casino magnets, like the other the Mr. Other Win. Win. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, which are not feel good stories. So good on you, Dash Delivery, for making it right. And a good Northwest employer. Yes. So good on you, Dash. Indeed. Thanks, right. Mark. We'll be right back. And we are back, and we have a listener-submitted story today. Yay! My with, favorite kind of stories. We've been begging you all to send us more, and I haven't really gotten too many. So Sad. please do that. Please send us stories. Please. Stories at hwepodcast.com. Pretty please. Please. Cherries on top. All right, enough begging. Tell us a story. Okay. So this comes from a listener who had a job working uh, in HR for a burger company. I can imagine that's probably a busy job. So I got a whole bunch of stories from her. Oh. And I think maybe we'll we'll spread a few of them out over a couple of episodes. But cool. I particularly like this one, which is called Burgers with Extra Sides. Uh-oh. So I got a call from an employee that believed he had been unfairly fired. I asked what the manager told her when she was fired. Sandy's answer, well, I was $80 short on my drawer. I asked if it was the first time, and Sandy says no. It happened once or twice before. I go on to explain that cash handling violations are terminable offenses and that her termination stands. She goes on to say that she wants to report drugs being sold in the store. I asked, by who? Sandy says, some of the shift managers slash team leaders. I call the GM Laura and ask, I think these all the names are in quotes, so I'm pretty sure okay. these are not the real names. Names change to protect the innocent. And ask if she noticed anything strange going on in the last few weeks, or if she has smelt something weird in the break room lately. Hmm. Laura says she hasn't, but when I tell her about the report of the drugs, she says she will pay closer attention. A couple of days later, Laura calls and says a new employee just reported a night team leader, Tom, offering her drugs. The new employee claims Tom told her he could get anything she wanted, and that if she was interested, he could get her in on the business. When I interview the new employee to get a written statement, she adds that another team leader, Anna, is buying alcohol for Sam, one of the night employees, and that they drink together while they're on the clock. Oh, that's, that's you know... It's like. This is awesome. It's team building. <laughs> it's team building, yes. I interview Sam, and he admits that he is getting alcohol from Anna, and that they pour it in regular cups from the restaurant so others don't notice what they are drinking. Ooh, smart. Smart. When he's done with his written statement, I ask him if he knows anything about the drugs. Instead of answering, he asks if he will be fired, to which I answer that he just admitted to drinking on the job, which is against company policy and a terminable offense, not to say illegal because he's underage. <laughs> At this point, Sam says he won't say anything about the drug, so I tell him it's on video anyway. Sam's comment, if you can figure it out. Next interview is Anna, the alcohol buyer. Yeah. She denies the allegations and claims it was Sam who bought the alcohol and tried to get her to drink with him. So I inform her that she's suspended pending the investigation. So what does she do? <laughs> I get popcorn and sit to watch the surveillance videos. Oh, nice. Not sure I can explain what they were doing on the night shift, but selling burgers was the least of it. 
After a while, one person would leave something on the counter on his way to the lobby. A few minutes later, another employee would pick it up on her way back to the house, to the, uh, sorry, on her way to the back of the house, only to put something back on her way back to the lobby. That dance went on for about an hour. After that, someone parked and came in. This is after hours, so only the drive-thru is open, and policy is that the only people coming in are employees that come to work, and the only people going out are employees going home, all this for security reasons. Tom gives the person coming in what seems like a food order, and then walks out with them coming back a few minutes later. This coming in and out goes on for a while. I have enough for termination on security policy violations, but decide to keep watching. (laughs) I would too. A different day guest comes in and orders. Tom, oh, sorry, a different day, a guest comes in and Uh, orders. Sorry, I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, Tom takes the order and disappears into the back of the house, comes back and gives the guest a bunch of napkins folded in half. Guest disappears from camera view in the direction of the restrooms, then comes back to the counter and returns the pack of napkins. Tom disappears again to the back of the house. The same activity goes on with Anna and Sam involved. Tom ended up admitting to some of the activity. Anna denied all the allegations, even when I told her that she was on video and she threatened to sue us. Once everyone involved in the drug ring was gone, sales went up substantially. Wow. So I thought that. That's pretty cool. That is what goes on in, I guess, at least one burger joint at night. Well, as you were telling that story, it reminded me of something. Um, Over on Division, about a mile from where we currently are, um, a few years back, there was a drive-through coffee place that was busted because the whole thing was just a front for a a drug business. And what would happen is is people would drive up to get their coffee, but (laughs) some of the people driving up would also get methamphetamine. Well, why not? Because why not, right? It's a, it's, it's a it's Portland. It's yeah, it was Portland, and it's a great operation because you've usually if you're dealing meth, people wonder why. You know, there's there's twenty cars driving by your trailer at twenty four hours a day, right? That's right. a little suspicious. But if you're running a drive through coffee shop, and it's twenty four hours anyway, it's completely not suspicious. So, yeah, uh, eventually, you know, somebody ratted them out and they got busted. Yeah, eventually, it still will probably catch they, up to you. They made the mistake of doing this directly across the street from Franklin High School. Oh. Yeah. So, it was shut down. The property seized. It was auctioned off and it reopened as a um, coffee shop slash playground for kids. Okay. Called Cafe O Play. <laughs> Sad. I know. <laughs> Anyway, I laughed, but yeah. Uh, anyway, good I episode. think that's good episode. Thanks, that was Mark. Fun. Oh. Um, Dennis, yeah, what? How can people find us? I can think of a number of ways. They could go to hwepodcast.com. That's the best way. That's the best way. I mean, that has... they found us already because they're listening. Yeah, but they could be listening in a friend's car. That's true. Or next to somebody whose headphones are not really personal. That's true, too. So uh, we want to help that person find us again. iTunes? Um, iTunes? Are we on iTunes? We, I think we are. We are. Just yeah. type in hostile work environment. Also, that's a great place to leave us a review. 
it is a fantastic place to leave us a review. If if people really like what we're doing and want to throw us a couple bucks to help us cover our expenses, where would they do that? Um, my bank account number is no, I'm kidding. Patreon. It's it's Nigerian bank, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, uh, it's my other job. I'm a Nigerian prince. Um, you can find us at patreon.com slash hwe great and what if people just really you know don't have the time for any of that stuff but they want a quick laugh as they're you know scrolling through some social media where would they go for that Uh, they could go to our twitter account twitter which is at hwe podcast it is at hwe podcast and we have our facebook page too which is hwe podcast yeah we're all over one last really important thing yeah what I've heard, especially since we talked about it on the last episode, that there are some pretty swanky t-shirts and mugs. And when people hear this, there's going to be like a week left to get them and then they're going to go away. Yeah, they're going away about a week into February. So get them now. Get them now. Mugs and t-shirts. Where would you go to find those? You would go to teespring.com slash HWE mug. Or slash H-W-E-T-T-E-E. So the, the mug would be for the mug. Yeah. And the T would be for the T shirt. Yes, that is how it works. Uh, I have ordered mine. They have not arrived yet, though. I've seen some others saying that theirs have arrived. Yeah, we saw a picture of somebody in the T-shirt. Uh, it looked pretty yeah, fly. And a mug. And a mug, yeah. yeah. Uh, our good friend John Hyman <gasps> sent us, uh, who was our first guest of the podcast, yeah. sent us a photograph sipping from his mug. It was lovely. Uh, so it I'm, kept his coffee quite quite hot. I understand. Well, it's just a cup. It's just a cup. Well, yeah. it's. I I, I it's like to think thermos. it's. I like to think it's more than just a cup. Well, I mean, to us, it is. It's it's also love. That's true. Hostile work environment love. Yeah. All right. Uh, so if you are interested in those, they're funny. Uh, they will get people talking uh, if they see you drinking out of it or wearing it. They may get you fired. Um, unlikely. Well, it could violate the dress code. You're you're just um, really helping sales right now. Yeah, I should shut up. <laughs> anyway. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.